We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com B-E. What if there were six pillars that helped people lead the whole teacher? Or they could even be translated to six pillars that help teachers lead the whole student. Well, there are. And in this week's episode with Allison Apsey, she explains all about those six pillars because her most recent book, Leading the Whole Teacher, talks about their importance and how they play out in every day. But that's not all we talk about this week. Allison is such a great guest with so much information that helps us be better, not just as leaders, but in our everyday lives. She starts out with self-awareness and how it's about realizing the power that we have through our mindset to get what we need to make the changes around us for an improved situation. Because we don't deny that there are hardships present in everyday life, but it's that positive mindset that helps us move forward in a joyous manner filled with hope. You know, it's so important to offer people grace and care for each other. And we have quite a bit of a conversation on teachers needing to focus on taking care of the students because if they don't, no one else will. However, leaders need to focus on taking care of teachers because if they don't, guess what? No one else will. And then, above all, self-care. And not just the catchphrase that sometimes we fall into the trap of using, but honest, genuine, authentic self-care that helps us better serve all of those around us by creating a better climate and culture no matter the situation. I can't explain to you how awesome this talk with Allison Apsey is, but don't take my word for it. Have a listen to Allison on Seeing to Leap. Reality is, as the leader of a building, if I don't, nobody is going to. And I have a school full of adults whose focus is to take care of the kids. And I, as the leader in the building, the principal in the building, am the only person who's there to take care of the adults. So just like you, if I'm creating a supportive environment where teachers can thrive, I know then students can thrive. Dr. Chris Jones here, and welcome to Seeing to Lead, a show designed to help leaders increase their ability to effectively support, engage, and empower their staff through intentional practices so that they create an environment where everyone reaches their greatest level of success. On Seeing to Lead, communication rules the day as we hear voices from both teachers and leaders in an effort to examine perspectives, highlight misunderstandings, and provide steps to ultimately bridge the gap between what teachers need and provide through 
thoughtful dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's get to getting better. Allison Apsey has been an educator for more than 24 years, a school leader for 19 of those years. She's passionate about having a serendipity mindset, looking for the beautiful lessons that every experience holds. She tries to be transparent, vulnerable, and supportive, and she doesn't ask questions unless she wants the answers. Despite the fact that she never wanted to set foot in a school again after high school graduation, there's nowhere else she'd rather spend her days than in classrooms. In fact, she doesn't even have a chair at her desk because she's moving around the school all day long. The challenges and delights of being a principal fill her days with joy. She enjoys nothing more than helping others be the very best they can be. Recognizing the significant impact trauma has had on many of our students, staff, and families, Allison is a certified trauma practitioner in education. The supports that students affected by trauma need are beneficial to all students because they are grounded in a foundational core of strong, positive relationships based on trust. Allison is the author of a blog called Serendipity in Education at allisonfc.com, has written five books, a middle grades chapter book called The Serendipity Journal, a picture book called The Princess of Serendip, and two professional learning books for educators called The Path to Serendipity and Through the Lens of Serendipity. Her most recent book, Leading the Whole Teacher, is an Amazon bestseller. She loves speaking to passionate groups as they work to be happy and effective people for the benefit of themselves and everyone around them. Allison is married to Jim, that man she met at the Orbit Room Dance Club all those years ago, and she has two amazing sons with him, Lane and Tyson. And I just want to take a moment and welcome Allison after reading that long bio, but I have um, one thing to add to it. I'm really excited about this because Allison is also keynoting the Massachusetts School Administrators Association Summer Institute in Plymouth this summer right here in Massachusetts. So Allison, thanks for being on the show and welcome. Thank you so much. Um, I just laugh when when my bio is read because, you know, you, I write it myself. So I, <laughs> I make myself sound really, really good. I'm not all that a bag of chips. I'm a hot mess um, most of the time also. But I am so excited to be joining you today. And I'm thrilled about um, being able to be a part of the Summer Institute in Plymouth. And I heard that we stay like right across the street from the Plymouth Rock. Um, not right across the street, but down the street. Okay. And, and I heard prepared to be less impressed than you think you'll be. I'm glad you said it. I was going to let you down easy. I was going to say, well, <laughs> it's not quite the highlight that you think it is. <laughs> oh, I'm going to get a selfie with it anyway. Oh, there you go. You have to just be prepared to lean way over a railing <laughs> because okay. it sits down in a hole and, uh, the gazebo around it or the gazebo like structure is probably more impressive than the rock. And <laughs> and I'm a history freak. I love history, but... I am too. Yeah. I'm too. So, um, you know, you've got a lot in a bio that um, I think is just really interesting. And, and one of the things that you mentioned, because you, you do have that new book out or that recently published book that I want to I get to. But serendipity, that's an interesting word that I don't hear used a lot. So I instantly got to thinking about it. And is there a nuanced way you use serendipity instead of just the definition? And how does that tie into what you're passionate about? 
Oh, yes. That's a big question. And my obsession with the idea of serendipity definitely started back in the early 2000s with the the movie starring John Cusack and Kate Beckinsale. And that quickly translated into a, a, a personalized definition. Just like you said, I think of serendipity as looking for beautiful gifts and happy accidents in everything we experience. I was talking to someone about that recently and they said, well, isn't that like the opposite of serendipity then? Like looking for these these beautiful lessons and happy accidents because the the definition of serendipity is like happenstance or things, good things that happen by accident or happenstance. And if you're looking for them, are they really happening by accident? And um, I love all those questions and I'm totally fine with that because I am a writer and I'm an artist. And when you're an artist, you get to make up your own definitions to to things and to words. And, and so for me, it's a mindset and it's all about understanding that everything we go through from joys beyond our imagination to our deepest sorrows to disappointments to beautiful things like contentment, all of those and all the everyday stuff in between, they offer all those experiences offer us an opportunity to become a better version of ourselves. If we look for that gift that's embedded in everything we go through. And I am not about toxic positivity. And I'm not about denying that crap is out there and exists. And and there are things that we would rather not have to go through at all. Like, I'm like, I don't care what the lessonism is. I don't want to have to deal with it because this hurts too much or I don't have it in me right now to deal with it. And And I experience that too. But what I have because of this mindset is this um, this kind of ember of hope that lives within me. And hope, really, when we look at the definition of hope, we, it is belief in a better tomorrow, belief that things will get better. And it's something that's in us. It's not a wish for our circumstances to change or for things happening around us to change. It's a belief in my ability to create a better tomorrow. So because of my serendipity mindset, I think that it, it burns eternal in me. And sometimes it's just a little flicker of, or an ember. And sometimes it's, a, you know, a bright flame, a bright light. Uh, but I know that a better tomorrow is there and ready for me to grab a hold of it and make it happen. And to me, like that's, that's what the idea of serendipity encompasses. Wow. That's a great definition. <laughs> You said a few things there that really stuck out to me and, and it made me, it made me start to question as I was listening to you about transfer. So you mentioned your ability to create or take part in creating that better tomorrow and the hope that there's that better tomorrow. How does that, because we need a lot of that these days in education in our schools. And so how does that belief, how does that passion play over into education? And how can leaders help support others in finding that and having that perspective? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, as as I think about that transfer, one of the biggest components is self-awareness. And that's understanding what the motivation behind our own behavior is. It's also understanding what we need, what appropriate boundaries for ourselves are. Um, and And then understanding the power that we have to make that happen. And one of the first pieces of self-awareness is understanding that the only person 
we can change is ourselves. And if we want change, like Gandhi said, we have to be the change. And that is so unfair when I have to be the change because of somebody else's stinky behavior. It, 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 um, it's, it's hard to understand and to grasp. But the reality is that if we want things to change, we have to change ourselves. And then the world around us changes. So I guess that transfer is really about understanding the impact of our own behavior on ourselves and on others, understanding the motivation behind our own behavior and understanding the motivation behind others' behavior. And then recognizing that the only person we can change is ourselves, but but also that we have control over ourselves and what tomorrow looks like. Now, that's such a powerful message. And that's a message that we can be delivered. Are there any strategies that the leaders that listen to this can use, whether they're working with teachers or whether they're working with students, to help them attain that mindset, attain the idea that they're responsible for their own, I don't, I don't know if you want to call it, it, well, responsible for their own responses to the current context that they're in and that they can, they can be better than their current situation. They just have to take responsibility for doing that. Is there a way to help people realize that? That's a, like you said, it's so unfair and that's a tough pill to swallow, realizing that. It absolutely, yeah, so many different strategies. But first I'll share, I, I work closely with Dr. Douglas Reeves through Creative Leadership Solutions and kind of this new journey I'm in in my educational leadership. And one of the things that um, Doug tells people all the time is that we are not responsible for what is. We are responsible for taking action based on what is. We First of all, we have to assess what, what exists, what is. And, and we can, we're talking about in the context of student learning. We're talking about in the context of um, social emotional learning, mental health, satisfaction, having need satisfying environments, like all of those contexts. We didn't create the current circumstances we're living in. We didn't create a global pandemic. We didn't create, you know, school violence. We did not create the the trauma that our students have gone through or that we have gone through. We didn't create all of this. All we can do is understand it and then work together to take the next best step. And I think under and 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 accepting that as educators is hard because we feel a responsibility for what our students are going through, what our colleagues are going through. But it is really important to release that personal responsibility so that we feel strong enough to take those next steps. I'm glad that you're delivering that message and the way it's coming across and the idea that you didn't just keep it to students, which leads me to something else I want to talk about and give you a chance to talk about. Because it seems, as you put it in our in our pre-chat, that we're kindred spirits. Your most recent book, the Leading the Whole Teacher, I would love for you to tell the listeners a little bit about that so that they can understand or get the idea of really serving those we lead and especially for leaders of buildings because typically you believe or you hear that when somebody's named a leader that you're talking about the principal or, or some other administrator. If we sit with that viewpoint for a minute, I'm really teacher-centered and I believe that by supporting, engaging, and empowering teachers, I 
I can reach more students. And now you have this wonderful workout leading the whole teacher. Can you tell us a little bit about that and, and what readers could expect from that? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it definitely aligns with that, that what we were just discussing with the serendipity mindset and then action and strategies we can take in our schools and in our classrooms to address those, those needs and those lessons. Um, but so leading the whole teacher is a compilation of research that I've done over several years. Pre, it started pre pandemic because just like you, I am passionate about taking care of the adults in our school buildings, because the reality is as the leader of a building, I don't, nobody is going to. And I have a school full of adults whose focus is to take care of the kids. And I, as the leader in the building, the principal in the building, and the only person who's there to take care of the adults. So just like you, if I'm creating a supportive environment where teachers can thrive, I know then students can thrive. So, oh, over the course of scholarly research, you know, throwing things out on Twitter and seeing what the comments are, throwing blog posts at the wall and seeing what sticks, discussions as I work with educators, you know, as a leader in the state of Michigan, as I traveled across the country, settled on six pillars of leading the whole teacher because we, we've tried the self-care advice angle for the last couple of years and it's not enough. It's not working. I, I feel like it's akin to putting a Band-Aid on a geyser. We need more than self-care advice. We need environments that support the whole teacher. So the six pillars are valued educator, continuous learner, emotional safety, decision maker, positive relationships, and healthy workload. And I knew I hit on the right six when I saw, when I, I, I listed them out and I saw teachers visibly relax and just demonstrate that they felt seen and valued just by acknowledging that these six pieces need to be in place in order for them to do their best work. And so that that framework is really designed to be like a self-evaluation reflective tool for schools and, and for leaders. And I, you know, we even have teachers who are being self-advocates and supporting colleagues with grabbing a hold of the, the six pillars. And there are ideas in the book, of course, for strategies and ways to set a school building up to meet those needs, questions that we want to ask ourselves, questions we want to ask our staff as we look at fulfilling each of the pillars. But really, it is designed to be a framework where each school looks at, they're going to have strengths in some of these areas. And then they're going to have places where they really need to concentrate and look at how can we grow in these areas in order to create a, a more need-satisfying environment for teachers and staff as a whole? Sounds like a fantastic resource that people should go out and grab. I'll definitely link that up um, in the show notes. I think anything that talks about, in a, in a very real way, how to take care of the adults in the building is so important because oftentimes we forget about that. I mean, we get so keyed keyed in on taking care of the students and saying, you know, what's best for students all the time. And this approach is not, this is, this is not ignoring what's best for students, but it's realizing to be able to give students what they need to make what's best for them possible. We have to take care of the adults that are doing that. One of the things that I was thinking about while you were talking to me about this is how important that mindset is for leaders. 
Because you said if nobody's taking care of the adults, the teachers, if the leader isn't, who's going to? And I got to thinking, well, who's taking care of the leader? And how important is it that the leader take care of themselves? Can can you talk about that? Do you have any opinions about ways for a leader to make sure that they're protecting themselves as well, mentally and emotionally? Yeah, yeah, so many. And one of my main roles as I work with creative leadership solutions and, and travel uh, across the country is as a leadership coach. And I'm so thankful for that opportunity because just like you said, there is actually the norm in districts that leaders are expected to take care of themselves in their own professional development, their own needs. But I would, I would venture to say like these six pillars apply to leaders also. And often school leaders, principals feel like middle managers. And, um, that's cause in a lot of ways we are, but just like teachers need to have a seat at the decision making table for the school leaders need to have a seat at the decision making table or the district. And, and I, I don't know. I, I, if you don't want to go out and, and buy any of my books, that's totally fine because I have a website at alicenafsey.com with hundreds of blog posts. And, um, you're welcome to check that out and search it for, for free. But one of my, or my latest blog post is, uh, is controversial title and it's principles. You don't need to be an instructional leader. And, um, that got a lot of reaction on social media, caused quite a stir. There are some principals who are super passionate about calling themselves instructional leaders, but the vast majority of principals were like, thank you. Thank you. Like, no, we cannot be masters of pedagogy in every content area and take care of our community and take care of discipline and take care of and take care of and take care of. So we're piling so many things on principals' plates. And then expecting them to be instructional leaders is they can't even get into classrooms, you know, for, for a good a good portion of leaders that I'm seeing across the country, let alone become masters of content and pedagogy at, for every subject at every grade level. So I think um, that's one of the the ways that I want to take care of leaders is to help them feel seen and valued and understood. And I had a principal who said. He emailed me and said, I just spent the first few hours of my spring break reading your blog posts on your website and I have never felt more seen before. And I love that because that's exactly what I'm, I'm here for. Like I, I, I'm not in a, in a building right now, but I'm still creating resources and trying to just provide, um, leaders, principals with as much as, as I can give. Now you coach leadership. And you brought up a really good point. The idea that principals feel like middle, mid-level management oftentimes because you have the district above them. How do you coach leaders who, when you tell them something or you give them an idea, they come back at you with, well, my, my superintendent doesn't let me do that. Or I, I don't have the ability to do that because that's not acceptable in my district. How do you coach leaders to overcome issues of being seen as mid-level management and pushed in one direction? even if it's against what they believe to be best? Yeah, um, great question. And I would say in the, the same way I would coach a teacher, like what, what's the data say? What, do we, what data do we have surrounding this, this concern you have and this idea that you want to implement that the district might push back? So 
Is it um, anecdotal data, observational data? Is there some numbers data that we could use? Is there some research that we could find? Um, just, I think it's really important to approach those conversations being as well informed as possible. Also open to listening and learning from um, the assistant superintendent or the superintendent, um, but also feeling pretty confident about knowing your school, knowing the needs of your school, having data to support what you know. And, and superintendents or assistant superintendents are hard pressed to push back on that kind of data and just say, no, do it my way. There at least often is some kind of compromise. Supporting your teachers and students seems to be a struggle. They just don't seem to be engaged. You wish they would take more responsibility for their learning and culture of the building, but they just don't seem to be empowered enough to do it. So my question is, have you checked out the book Seeing to Lead yet? It's all about creating a true educational experience where learning, growth, leadership, and community take center stage. Full of strategies and resources, Seeing to Lead is about attaining that goal by employing a model that supports, engages, and empowers all individuals to become leaders themselves. Pick up a copy today at seeingtolead.com. That's S-E-E-I-N-G-T-O-L-E-A-D.com. Remember, you don't become a leader and then decide you need to support and recognize others more than yourself. It is the moment you realize it's about supporting and recognizing others that you become a leader. Seeingtolead.com. So one of the other directions I want to take this, because you've talked a lot about the, the idea of serendipity. You talked about supporting teachers and obviously to get best results with students. And you've gone to a lot of different schools. So in a perfect world, what would a school look like as far as what's going on for teachers, students? You walk in the door and what do you see? What do you hear? Oh, um, smiles, organization, systems, systems, systems. And the reality is that systems don't solve problems, but they give us something to lean on so that we can feel confident as we're addressing individual problems that come up. From a leadership perspective, I think it's really important that principals put all of those things that happen in their brain as they're making decisions on a day-to-day basis down on paper as much as possible and empower other people to think through things in the same way that they think through things. An example is, you know, during the kind of the height of the pandemic when we were, well, we're still short on subs, but sub shortage was a daily occurrence. And, you know, I would get texts, you know, at 5.30 in the morning of like, hey, we're short, you know, three and a half people today. What do we do? Just empowering secretaries or teacher leaders, other people to have this checklist of like, okay, let's talk through like, you know, who, what other subs do we have in the building? Do we have any student teachers in the building? Like, what, what do we have, you know, who have we used most recently as far as like support staff and and having them fill in? having a, a schedule of teachers who like to fill in during their plan time and, and earn extra money or um, time off, having those things all of like, that's just an example of things that we can, systems we can have in place. So it doesn't feel like so much is dependent on us as the building leaders. So you're saying, you're saying so much around 
mindset and systems, but there's a piece to it that it's not about automating everything. And there's not a clear answer for everything. I, I really like what you're saying about that. The whole mindset where education is a messy game, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have to be all that messy. But the human side is always changing. I think about different systems that I have personally in my school. And all the times where even if we have a system, you've got that one off. Mm-hmm. It seems you're saying that with these systems in place and with this organization in place, it becomes easier to address the individual needs that are those one-offs in a more meaningful way because everything else is taking care of itself. Well, so to speak, that's, I don't have a magic wand for taking care of itself, but but it's, it's working on a system so that you have the ability to pull away. Because often we say, if only I had more time to do that, if only I had more time to make sure that we understood the needs of these five different types of students or individuals as they exist in our building and in their reality. But I don't because I've got to take care of these other 83. I really like the bend that you have that if you have systems in place and effective systems in place, you suddenly have the time to take care of those students. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You you capture my thinking perfectly. My thinking goes back to a multi-tiered system of support where if we have systems in place that capture as many students as possible in tier one, we capture as many, the needs of as many students as possible with tier one, then we're going to have time, space, capacity, patience left to support students who need the tier two supports. And then of course, the, the students who need tier three supports. So that's where the systems fall into play. They're, they're tier one. You know, what's interesting that you said that we, for our tier one supports or systems, I should say, because yes, they're a support, but they're available to 100% of the population. We actually came up with a broad general list that when we offered these supports in classrooms, we found that teachers were able to reach more students and parents of students on IEPs didn't ask for as many accommodations in their IEPs because we actually wrote a letter to parents saying that we as a community offer these supports to every single student in the classroom. And by doing that, it was such an empowering thing that it also assisted us in clarifying the role of what we use for our MTSS structure in our classrooms where we take certain periods out with teachers. Mm-hmm. But it, it just what you said, it freed up the ability to be more direct and more individualized and more supportive for students. Absolutely. Excellent example. That's wonderful. So, you know, we're getting to the end of the podcast. I could talk to you for quite some time. I, you know, but I take notes a lot of times just to, um, to jot down little ideas I have when I'm talking to people. But as you're talking, I'm like, so into what you're saying that I, I don't take <laughs> notes for half of it. But we're getting near the end. And I do ask the same two questions of every guest on every podcast before they leave. And so the first one, is if you were in education, I know your roles changed from, from leader to now you're out coaching leaders. But if you were in education, who, not what would you be? Who? Oh my goodness. Subtle but important difference. Right, right. I would be, uh, I'm thinking maybe Taylor Swift. <laughs> There's got to be a backstory to that. Oh, yes. I thought I would be like a 
a singer or an actress okay. as I was growing up. So we'll we'll just go with Taylor Swift. Yes. Fair enough. Fair enough. The last one that I have for you that I ask everybody is, what's the most important piece of advice you would give to leaders as they work to better support, engage, and empower those they serve? Mm. Take the time to listen and be fully present. You know, it's interesting. We have, as principals, we have people coming into our office or stopping us in the hallway and saying, hey, do you have a minute? And you know, we want to answer back, like, you know, are you kidding me? Like, there's not enough minutes in the day to do what I need to do. But but really just stopping what we're doing every time we're asked that and giving our full attention to the person in front of us uh, is really a crucial step to take as a leader. And especially we need reminders about that, especially as busy as we are and as many things that are coming at us. So just in that intentional presence and getting out of your office. I always found that I was always in the right place at the right time when I wasn't in my office, right? Like I was always needed exactly where I was. Um, and that's because we're always needed everywhere. But those would be maybe my my two pieces of advice. And just to like know that you're not alone, that the challenges you're going through are challenges that principals across the country and I would guess across the world, but my work is mostly in the United States, are going through. And if you do not have a community where you are of like-minded people or people who aren't even like-minded, but support you and see you and maybe challenge you in a way that is is the right kind of challenge, find that group of people. I'll be your people, like whatever you need. Get on, get on social media, um, email me. I'm happy to to provide help because leaders need support and to be nurtured just like every other educator does. That's fantastic. And you, you know, you said an interesting thing, support and challenge. And I'm big on continuous improvement. But can you dig into that a little bit about why leaders need somebody to support and challenge them? Because it's not always about that support piece isn't always about, hey, I'm just going to hold your hand and, you know, sit with you and tell you it's going to be okay. There's so much more to that. Do you care to dig into that at all? Or Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I appreciate being surrounded by like-minded people who can get on board with me with um, exciting things that I'm thinking about or have going on. But I also appreciate, you know, like even with my latest blog post, like I appreciated the pushback or people who challenge me. And I don't mind that because I think like if we're going to put something out there, you have to be ready for people to disagree with you or to push back. And I love starting conversations that lead to growth for all of us, including me. So I'm, I, I don't always like negative feedback and in, in like initially, but it always helps me learn and grow. So I want to make sure that I have people around me who will ask me to rethink something or challenge me to think in a different way or disagree with me. Like I, I think we all need that. Perfect. So what's the best way you threw this out there? If somebody needs somebody like that to go ahead and give you an email, what's the best way? Obviously, you're going to say your email, but is there another way to reach out to you that works really well? Yeah, so my email, everything is just, if you know how to spell my name, you know how to get a hold of me. So allisonapsey at gmail.com or allisonapsey.com is my website. And then on the social medias, I'm at allisonapsey. So that would be Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and even on TikTok. Uh Uh-oh. So yeah, I I would love to connect. 
with your listeners and learn and grow together. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for coming on the podcast today. I'm sure that people got a ton of value out of this. I know I did. And I, I just can't thank you enough for taking the time. I loved our conversation and I'm so excited to be able to meet in person this summer. Yeah, I, I was thinking that probably about three quarters of the way through this. I was like, hey, we're going to actually see face to face this summer. Yes. So that is, that'll be great. So thank you very much. And um, I'm sure that everybody is everybody's going to enjoy listening to this and even more people are going to enjoy listening to you this summer. Well, thank you so much for your leadership and putting a podcast together like this is not easy. It's hard work, but it is a gift to educators, leaders, and um, thank you for all your hard work. Well, that's a wrap, but not the end. Next step, be sure to take action on something you heard here today. Hey, thanks for listening to the Scene to Lead podcast. If you would like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter at Dr. C.S. Jones. If you've gotten any value from the Scene to Lead podcast today, you can help me and other leaders create a world-class environment through a teacher-centric approach by subscribing to the show, leaving an honest rating and review, and sharing this episode on social media with your most valuable takeaway. Also, one last thing. Have you had a chance to pick up my latest five-star rated book yet? Grab your copy of Seeing to Lead anywhere you buy books or at seeingtolead.com. That's S-E-E-I-N-G-T-O-L-E-A-D.com where you can learn more and continue to improve. Now go have a successful week. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out My Flex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com B-E.